Today is a, an incredible day for us as a church because we have a special guest and guest of honor with us today. He is my pastor. Y'all, I, here's what I know. Every pastor needs a pastor, right? So he's my pastor. He's my spiritual father. Uh, when you hear me talk about Daystar Church in Alabama where we served for 15 years, this is the church where we served for 15 years. He's the pastor there. He's been our mentor. He's been he's been uh, uh, uh like a brother, like a father, and in a way like a grandfather. <laughs> so he is, he is very special to our family. We love him so much, and I know you're going to love him too. Would you help me welcome uh, our guest of honor, Pastor Jerry Lawson. Come on, let's, let's welcome him today. Oh, man, it is so great to finally be here. I have been hearing about City Hope Church and praying for City Hope Church and uh, just just believing for the, the hopes and dreams of Wichita Falls um, for so long. And, um, you know, I, I knew about what God was going to do here. I just knew it in my spirit, in my heart. Ben and Annalise were praying with us um, about this, talking about it really for years, for years. Uh, we knew that uh, this ministry was going to happen in this city and to see it come apart, come together has just been amazing. And here's what I know. I know that long before it began here, God birthed it in your hearts. Like the, the people who live in this town, the people who have been praying for, for their families to see revival, hoping for a city to be changed, wanting to see revival in amazing ways. You guys were dreaming and hoping for this. So let's all give God praise for where we are so far, what's already been happening. And it is just the beginning. I mean, it is really just the beginning. I hope you know, uh, if you're new to this church or just new to church, I hope you know what's happening at City Hope is not normal. It's not usual. This is not what church is supposed to be like. Uh, actually, it is what it's supposed to be like. It's not what it usually is like. Uh, this is an amazing thing. You're, you're a part of something that is... That is uh, uh, it, it's a God thing and you're on the ground floor of it. I would just, I would grab onto my spot in this destiny moment and I would work, I would push, I would pray, I would give, I would go, I'd do everything I possibly could because this is something that people are going to be talking about in this community for generations to come. How this church began and how it shaped this community. You know, if the church comes and does its thing and goes away and nobody notices it, it really didn't do anything but religion. But if a church takes hold in a community and changes the community, changes the community one family or one individual at a time, you have finally become the church. And that's what City Hope Church is doing. And I'm just so thankful for that. Man, I believe it with all my heart. And I love Ben and Annalise and uh, the G-Boys, you know, all those boys uh, have been in my heart uh, for such a long time. Um, and in fact, if it's okay, I brought a couple pictures that I'd like to share uh, how long I have known the Murrays. Is that all right if I share a couple, couple pictures? Uh, I'll just get out of the way. There's me and the boys, uh, minus one. Uh, but this was, I think this was an Easter a long time ago of us. This is, uh, okay, pause that one just for a minute. So this is uh, Leslie, my wife, and, and myself, and, and all the Murray boys. Now, if you take a family picture with the Murrays, you have to take out some of your family to fit their family all in. <laughs> So I do have uh, 
two beautiful girls and a little boy that we adopted that is kind of in the Murray boy range. We, he really misses those Murray boys. We, we thought about taking one of the Murray boys back with us, but they told us it would have to be Gibson. So, um, <laughs> we're not prepared for that. So, but, uh, yeah, let's see what else we got here. Um, this is when I met the Murrays right, right before this picture, just to show you how long I go back with Ben and Annalise. I met them just before that picture, and uh, I was unsure. I couldn't decide if Ben was a super cool guy or, um, you know, if he was just uh, another brain-dead 20-year-old. But it turned out to be a super cool guy, and uh, that was great for us. And I think I've got one more. Do I have one more? Oh, this is dedicating the, the boys. That was an awesome uh, moment. Um, what else do we have here? I think my... Yeah, so um, <laughs> I want this hair back. I just want to say that I want to start a movement to bring, I don't know how well you can see this hair and what's going on here. Um, Jason, do you remember this hair? Do you remember this hair? Um, yeah, and I think I've got a close-up of that. Do I have a close-up of that hair? Is there one more picture? I guess not. I, okay, I promise next time I come back, I've got a close-up of that hair um, that I want you to see. And maybe you could do a movement like a hashtag, bring back the hair or something like that. Um, but, and I've also known Jason a long time. Jason poured, Jason's dad and his uh, group poured my driveway. My funniest story about him is Jason was either sick or pretending to be sick uh, when he came over to my house and my wife just begged his dad to let him come in and lay down. She had a bed for him. And, and uh, if you know Ken Moody, there is no laying down on the job. So he was out there, you know, spitting and vomiting and laying concrete. And I don't know if it was real or not, but uh, he was fighting through it all. I go back so far with his family I'm, I'm, and I, I really love and appreciate um, what, they've, what they've meant for my ministry. Um, we were starting a brand new church um, a long time ago. It's, it's a lot like what you're doing here. We were starting a brand new church a long time ago, now uh, over 19 years ago. And, um, you know, someone, uh, you, you need people to come along and help you. And, and God sent us Ben and Annalise Murray. They were just dating at the time. They were just about to get married. And um, they went back to Texas and got married, came back and came on our staff and um, just grew with us. Uh, we grew as leaders, and uh, they grew as leaders, and their family grew, and our, our church grew, and our, our city uh, saw amazing change. Then the Murrays launched one of our campuses up in the Huntsville-Madison area of Alabama and just continued to grow. And all along, they kept sharing with me this, this heart for Wichita Falls, that they knew they were supposed to be back here. They knew they were supposed to start this church. And, you know, I want to say a couple things before I get into the message. Uh, thanks for inviting me to preach on sex my first time here. I love that. Um, you know, he hasn't learned everything yet, but... Nothing like introducing yourself and talking about singleness, uh, but I'm going to talk about uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 2. But before I go, I want to say just five things I want to tell you about the Murrays. First of all, they are real, and that's very, very, very important because in a, in a, in a world where, you know, there's a lot of pressure on pastors. Pastors don't want to be fake, I don't think. Most of them are trying to be fake, but there's a lot of pressure on them, and so they end up being fake. You never get that out of the Murrays. They are exactly what you see in this room, in another room, somewhere else. And I just tell you that because I've got a 15-year history with them. Actually, longer than that, 15 plus however long you've been out here. I guess it's closer to going on 17 years of knowing this family. And, and they're real. Secondly, they're godly. 
That's a word that people don't like to use because it feels like uh, religious or, or condescending. But when, when someone actually does walk daily with God in their life and they actually listen to the voice of God for a lifetime, then you ought to pause and recognize they're godly people. They genuinely love God. They genuinely hear the voice of God. Thirdly, they're generous people. This is something that you probably wouldn't hear from them because it sounds self-serving, but they're very generous people. When we were in a temporary location, we had converted a grocery store into a church building and we needed to build a big building and, and, and we were seeing so many people. We, were, we, were, we had five services on the weekend um, and we, we just needed a new space. I challenged our whole church to give like they've never given before. We didn't have uh, just a handful of big, wealthy givers. We just had a bunch of good, wonderful people who love God. And I asked everybody to give generously. And uh, I happen to know that the Murrays emptied their savings account and just gave it all in one day to just start. I happen to know that a few years later when we had a new staff member on the team whose car broke down and they didn't have money for a car, they just gave away their car. And it wasn't because they were rich then or they're rich now, but they were rich in generosity and they have a generous spirit. And that's not something that a pastor is going to get up here and tell you that he does. But the reason you need to know that is because for this church to move into its destiny, they're going to have to be some challenges from this pulpit challenging you to go places you've never gone in your generosity or go places. Some of you are already there. You're already going places you've never gone and sharing your faith and serving and being generous with love and, and finances. But you should know that the person and the people that are challenging you to do that are walking in front of you and they're living that every day. All right, they moved out here to move into a half size of their house they left in Alabama to move into a half size of a salary, by the way, that they didn't know was even going to be there uh, a year later. They're a generous people, and when they challenge you to generosity, you need to know you're following people who are generous. Um, and here's the fourth thing. They're faith-filled people who aren't afraid to take a step of faith. That's why they're here. They took a step of faith. And, and when you do the same thing as this church and you take a step of faith, it makes me think of that verse, that Bible verse that says how good and pleasant it is when we dwell together in unity. We're all doing the same thing. We're all serving in the same way. We're all loving this city in the same way. You know, we're all positive and optimistic about where God is taking Wichita Falls and, and our role in that. How good and pleasant it is when we dwell together in unity. And this is the promise. It says, because there. God commands his blessing. You know, somebody was telling me outside uh, just before we walked in this morning how this church is so different than anything he's ever seen and just describing every little part of, of how, what they love and watching his children and grandchildren come into service together. And all I could think about was that's what God was talking about when he said when we get together in unity, he'll command a blessing over the house. That's what you're living in right now. That's what you're feeling today. That's what you're experiencing is the blessing of God. And, and unity makes that happen. Here's the last thing I'll say about the Murrays before I talk about sex. <laughs> they need your help. That's the fifth thing. The, the, don't expect them to do more and be more than is possible. Don't believe they're invincible. Don't expect them to be perfect. Just match their commitment with your own commitment, and God will blow your minds with what he'll do in Wichita Falls. I'm telling you this because I've seen this happen. 
I have seen this happen. You know, God told me a long time ago that uh, he would give me spiritual sons and daughters. Ben's the first spiritual son of my life. Annalise, the first spiritual daughter. I guess that makes me the boy's grandfather. I've been dealing with that for years. <laughs> and since, since our church is what helped birth this church, it's almost like I'm the grandfather of Wichita, of City Hope Church, you know. <laughs> I need a little more gray hair. I actually have more, but I... Anyways, there's a way to get rid of it. Um, but there's nothing that would excite me more than seeing this church change this city forever. Change your neighbors, your coworkers, change the school. So I'm excited about seeing that. We're going to talk today about week two. We're in week two of this series uh, from Song of Solomon, a great story, uh, an, an analogy, an allegory, a tale of love and how you fall in love and what does it look like when you fall in love and how are you supposed to pursue the one person that God sent for you. It is a great story that most churches never talk about. Raise your hand if you've, if you've ever been in a church before this church that did a five or six week series out of the book, Song of Solomon. Raise your hand. Five weeks on the Song of Solomon. Not many of us, right? Because this is just kind of a weird story, you know? And you don't like talking about raisins and apples and what that was used for back in the day. And those kind of things get left out. I want to talk to you. Chapter two is where I'm going to be today. Chapter two just really walks you through um, the seasons of, of a love relationship. And there are always seasons. In fact, the, the writer of Song of Solomon also wrote Ecclesiastes, and he said this, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. There's different seasons for your life, different moments for your life. I want to walk you through those seasons of love before you get married. And if you're taking notes, uh, we, we put the notes uh, there for you. There's a lot of blanks to fill in. Pay attention. Write them down. I love it when people take notes. Keep them. Years later, they're remembering. I remember uh, Pastor Ben talked about something. Where was that? What did he say? You can find those notes somewhere. That's an awesome thing to have. So here's the first season. Before marriage, you will have a season of preparation. God wants you to have that. And we'll start in chapter 2, verse 11. See, the winter is past. The grains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The cooing of doves is heard in our land. He, he references winter, a season of winter. And, and winter is synonymous in the Bible with preparation. There's a lot of symbolism here. I'll, I'll try to walk you through it as we go today. So it means a season of preparation. Now, winter feels like nothing's going on. You ride around, you don't see any blooms, you don't see any uh, leaves on trees. But what's actually especially going on in a vineyard is that the roots dig deeper in the winter. It's warmer under there. They're able to grow and they, they spread out. And there's a lot of things happening underneath the surface. And that may be where you are right now in a relationship or just in your walk with God. You, you look and you, you see uh, your life and you say, well, nothing's happening, you know? My prayers are not being answered. Things aren't changing in my life. What you need to accept is that this is a season. Come on, everybody say season. It's just a moment in my life. And there's stuff happening beneath the surface. Man, when you come into the house of God, you dedicate, you commit yourself to serving and giving and worshiping. You throw your hands up in the air and you sing songs to a God that you don't really feel all the time. You know there are seasons that you are, are totally and completely a child of God. You completely love God and you don't feel God. Did you know that? That acts, listen, that's absolutely true. You can be sold out. You believe in him and you just don't feel him. And you know what you do in those seasons? 
Stay home. Don't, no, no. You, man, you throw your arms up higher. You sing louder. You serve more, uh, more passionately. Because when that's going on, while you don't see anything on the outside, roots are growing underneath. And it's building a foundation for what God's going to do next in your life. And that's what, that's what Solomon is teaching us in this story, is that there's moments in a relationship where nothing's happening on the outside because it doesn't need to happen. On the, we don't need to see you holding hands. We don't need to know in Facebook you're in a relationship. <laughs> Stop it. You've been 18 relationships since I've been your friend. Okay, cut out. You're in a preparation. Okay. I don't care that your best friend has, is dating someone and everybody in your class is dating. It's okay. You're in a season of preparation. It's not fun. Nobody likes the winter, but you can't have a spring if you don't have a winter. So it's just a season. You know, my wife, you saw her on the screen. We have been married for 26 years. I love her more today, literally, than I did all those other 26 years. And, and, and it has gone through a lot of seasons. But the first time I met her was in church. And she came walking in, and I, man, I, I almost got whiplash. I was just, wow. And, and I was like, man, she's the one, but she was dating some loser. And... Uh, <laughs> So I didn't, I didn't try to talk to her or anything like that. And it was like a special day in a church. And I didn't see her again for a long time. And, and um, right after that, our church went through a significant season of revival. I was just a teenager. But I really met the Lord. I was religious up until that point. I just didn't want to go to hell. Did anybody go to the church like that? Every sermon was about hell. Every sermon. And half of them seemed like the preacher actually wanted you to go to hell. That's my church, okay? And so, but then real revival came, and I really met the Lord. And about a year later, Leslie comes back to our church. And the, the dweeb was not there now. He's out, and I move right in. And it was, you know, I, I was far from everything that I could be as a person of faith, but I had grown so much. And here's, here's something I want you to know. Having a great marriage finding the right person, all that kind of stuff. It's a lot less about you finding the right person and it's more about you becoming the right person. Stop with this, I'm waiting on him. I'm waiting on the right man of God. I'm, no, no, you don't wait at all. You go become the woman of God. Let me tell you something, women of God. The, the, the man of God that you want to find in your life is looking for a woman of God. Fastest way for you to find the right person is to become the right person. Same thing for you, 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 you men that, that you want to, you want to, you know, there's the, there's the kind of girl you date. All right. I don't need to go too deep into that. And then there's the kind of girl you marry. Come on. I, I got an amen from the men. You know what I'm talking about? You want to find the right kind of girl to marry? Well, let me tell you that she's looking for a certain kind of guy. You just need to become that guy. You, you become who God's called you to be. He's praying, you know, he's praying for this kind of a woman to become that kind of woman. She's praying for this kind of a man, become that kind of a man. And, and don't rush into spring prematurely. Winter is a season. It's a time, you know. You don't have to hurry. You're like at church your first Sunday at, at, at City Hope, and you're like, man, it was all God, you know. Like, a, you know, she, she was at church. I was at church. She was singing songs. I was singing songs. She had a Bible. I, was, I had a Bible. It's God. No. I also had a Bible. It's not God between you and me, Right. You know, slow down. <laughs> there's a season and there's plenty of time for that. Here's the second season you go into. After the season of preparation, you often have a season of perfection. Everything is just perfect. You met her and she's just 
perfect. Finally, all the songs on the radio make sense now. All you think about is him when you hear those songs, man. It's just perfect. And all you can think about is buying little, if you're a woman, you're like, you're making little hearts and names and you're practicing writing your name with his last name, you know, all this kind of stuff. Remember those days? And if you're a man, like y'all, you want to just buy stuff for her and you're just buying this and this is your little hooky pooky bear, you know, and you just can't, you just can't get enough of that. Let me give you a Bible verse for that season. Here's a Bible verse for that season. This too shall pass. That's the verse, all right? It's going to pass. No, here's the verse in, in Song of Solomon. <laughs> Chapter 2, verse 8. Listen, my beloved. Look, here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Oddly enough, that's exactly how Annalise describes Ben when you talk to her about him. <laughs> young stag. Uh, look. There he stands uh, behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. Seems like you should call the police. I mean, really. But <laughs> my beloved spoke and said to me, arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come to me. Now, isn't this just lovely? We're bounding over hills and peeking through lattice, and we're just in love with each other. And we're just certain this is love. Let me tell you, you're not in love. You're in lust. And, and, and even if it's a God thing, you're in infatuation. Just infatuated. Everybody, every adult in this room has been infatuated. It's fun. It's exciting. It's not necessarily sin, but it's a season. And it won't always be that way. And it's important for you to know that because if you believe, see, most Amer you know why people, relationships are so jacked up in America? Because most Americans get their relationship advice from Hollywood, they watch silly movies, love stories that are ridiculous. They highlight uh, disobeying God's word and God's principles. And then they give you an image of love that is like, uh, you know, heart emojis flying off of your head. You know, that's not what love is. It's infatuation. And it's a part. It's a, it, it's a part of the journey. And there are moments of that. But the reason you need to know that is because if, if your marriage is in a season of winter, you're going to think, well, we fell out of love. No, you didn't fall out of love. Love is not infatuation. Love is deeper. Love is warm. Love, well, lo love is something that is abiding. And infatuation is just something that comes and goes. And it can be dangerous. Y you see, uh, you need to know what season you're in. You think he's perfect. You think she's perfect. You just, just slow it down and tap the brakes on that because it can be very dangerous. Let me tell you, when you're in a season of infatuation, let me tell you three things you should limit. First of all, limit your time. Huge mistake. I was a youth pastor for 10 years. Students that fall in infatuation, which they would say we fell in love, man, they abandon all their friends, abandon their family, abandon their church, everything else that's going on just to be with that person the whole time. That's a huge mistake. You need balance in your life. You need the right kind of people in your life. Don't do that. Second thing you limit is your talk. Oh, he's just right for me. He's the one. He's a man of God. He's who God sent my way. We're, we're destined to be with you. Stop with that talk. Don't, don't speak words. Let God, you know, if all that is true, then you'll know it in time. You know, if all that is true, then it'll come about when it's supposed to. But don't speak words prematurely. Be, be, limit your talk, limit the things that you're saying, and just let God take time to build a proper foundation for the right relationship. So limit your time, limit your talk, and when you're infatuated, limit your touch. Listen, 
When your heart moves towards someone, your hands will quickly follow. And there's a place for all that. And it's on the other side of marriage. Can I get a parental amen up in the house? <laughs> Wait for that. I love, I've loved telling this. My, my 16-year-old daughter, I didn't, I didn't get to show you a picture of her. She's absolutely beautiful. Um, and she had her first date Valentine's night. First date ever. Okay? It was a double date with me. <laughs> at my house. And they wanted to go down and watch a movie in the basement. I said, that's fine. I looked that boy in the face. I said, you just keep your hands to yourself. Told him right in front of her, which I'd already shown in my gun collection. <laughs> we have lots of guns in Alabama, too. Lots of guns. Because I, I, I know, I, told, I also told him, I said, I know what a stupid boy looks like. Because I was one. I know exactly what he looks like. Don't be stupid with my daughter. I just told him that. But, you, you know, I re realize what, what men realize is that, you know, you're going to take this thing to a physical place before it's time. And let me say this to you ladies. Here's something my daughter, if I literally, if she were here right now, her eyes would be rolling because she's heard this so many times. She'd be like, oh, my God, one more time. When you fall in love, statistics show that you're going to fall in love five times before you actually found the right person. You're going to think you're in love five times. Because here's the answer. All that's good stuff. I know that was good preaching. That, pre that preacher, he really means well, but he doesn't know what we have. It's just so wonderful. Yeah, and when you find out that's not going to be the one for you, you're going to feel that way about somebody else and somebody else and somebody else. And, and, and eventually a light bulb's going to go off. And you're going to be like, oh, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm an emotional person. And you know what? I'll, I'm going to wait for godly principle. But here's what you need to think about when he tries to be physical. You need to think about how you're going to feel after you've been physical and you found out he really wasn't the one. Those are the things to think about. So when you're infatuated, limit your touch. Now, the third season is you have a season of discovery. And this is really good. This is what you ought to have. Y'all, we're taking this straight through the story of Song of Solomon. These are not just Pastor Jerry's uh, dating advice. Verse 14, my dove in the clefts of the rock, in hiding places in the mountainside, show me your face. Let me get to know you. You see, let me hear your voice. Let's talk. For your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Basically, he's saying, come out of hiding. Let's get to know each other. So do this when you're getting to know someone. Talk about your past. Talk about the things you've been through, your hurts. Talk about mistakes that you've made. You see, you'll find out that a person is much more likely to forgive past mistakes than to forgive current deceit. Don't hide things. Be, be honest with that person. Get to know that person. Secondly, talk about your plans. This is a mistake a lot of young people make. They can fall in love slash infatuation slash lust, whatever it is, there's this emotion. They think they're right for each other. They don't care about anything else. But think about your future. What are you going to go to school? Who are you going to, you know, how many kids do you want to have? Talk about your faith in God. You know, if you have a genuine, real, abiding faith in God, that ought to be the first thing you talk to this boyfriend or girlfriend about. It should be the first thing and find out if they have genuine faith. Because they might have genuine brown chocolate eyes that you can lose your soul in but no faith in God. You know, what are you going to do in the middle of the night? You know, what are you, you going to do in the middle of the night? You've got two kids. One of them's got a fever that's racing. The doctors don't know what's wrong. You need to get a prayer through. You're going to look over that boy and say, you know, bat those chocolate eyes and make something happen. 
You need somebody that can pray. You need a person who can call on God and have a relationship with God. So talk about your plans. You know what's missing from this story? If you read the whole story, and you're going to do a few more weeks of this, there's no drama in this story. There's no breaking up, getting back together, breaking up, dogging him out on Facebook, getting back together. There's none of that stuff in the story. You know, and, and, and wouldn't it be wonderful to have that? Because it's, a God, it's built on God. God is first. If you'll make God first in all your relationships. Here's, here's what I've learned is that people who have a bunch of drama when they're dating and then they get married have a bunch of drama when they're married. But if you put God first, you'll find out God knows how to build what's going on in your life. So we had a season of preparation, a season of perfection, a season of discovery where you get to know each other. And I'll just say this last, in all the seasons of your life, your marriage, your dating, protect your purity in every season. De determine that what we want is, is what God wants for us. So he says this in verse 15, catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in full bloom. Now, now the all of this is symbol. The vineyards represent the body. Okay. That's what the vineyard represents. And she's, she's saying that our bodies are in full bloom and, and, and when they begin to bloom, what, you know what a fox does, a fox will sneak into a, a vineyard and he'll start to eat off the blooms. Now, if you leave the blooms, they're going to eventually become fruit. They're going to, they're going to blossom into grapes and you're going to have something that, that you actually want there. And this is telling you that you got to protect your purity because what will happen is when your body is in full bloom, what, what you want to do is you want to go physical before the timing is right. And you, what you're doing when you do that is you ruin a great harvest that God has for you. Are you, are you hearing me? It's very symbolic, but it's very deep, and it's a wonderful part of Scripture that God wants you to understand, that there are little foxes, little ideas, little thoughts, little temptations that will ruin your body will ruin the wonderful thing that God has in store for you. And I, and I understand this, that people are like, this is my body. This is very popular uh, mentality this, this, that I'm about to tell you. It's my body. I can do whatever I want to with it. And you know what? It is your body and you can do whatever you want to. What you can't do is control the fallout of those actions. You, you can't. You can't control what happens next. Things like unwanted pregnancy or, 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 or emotional distress on your body and on your, on, your, on your life. You can't control those things. I, I like to remind people that right now in America, one out of two sexually active people has a sexual transmitted disease. One out of two. The minute you decide to be sexually active, you're one. The other one's two. Do the math. Yes, hashtag dad credit right there. I know how to do it. <laughs> Ladies, if someone is pressuring you sexually to, to disregard your commitment to God and, and they're pressuring you before you get married, just, just ask yourself, after I marry this person, what kind of pressure and who's he going to pressure to disregard God after we get married? Okay? I, I could spend a whole lot of time there, but I'm going to leave that because I do want to close with this. Ephesians 5 and 3 says, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Let's talk about that. I'm going to close with this. Thank you, guys. Come on up. Not, everybody say, not a hint. Let, let's close with this. How do you guard your purity? I want to give you three simple thoughts to remember. Number one, you, you set and communicate clear boundaries. That's why it's so wonderful to go to church with the person you date. 
Because if you go to a church, a life-giving church like City Hope that, that literally believes the whole Bible front to back, they're going to teach it all. You're going to get to moments like this where we talk about this. And there's no question what those boundaries are because you, you agree, you, you go to the same church, you hear the same teaching, you understand where the boundaries are. I remember when I was a kid in church, my preacher said, you ought to just marry somebody goes to church right here. Don't be dating somebody at another church. Date somebody that goes to church right here. I was a teenager. I looked around the room. There's nobody there but my sister and my cousins. I'm like, listen, this ain't Tennessee. That joke never gets old, Ben. I've had that in my hip pocket since you asked me to come. We go way back with Tennessee jokes. But you know what was crazy? That beautiful girl came walking in my church. She came. And the preacher said, <laughs> I really wanted to get it right. I said, Pastor, is there anything we can do? You, you got any advice, any counseling? Well, I'll tell you what you do, boy. You put your Bible down there on the console between that car. When y'all go on a date, and if you can reach over the Word of God to disobey it, I can't help you. <laughs> I brought my Bible. scared me to death. <laughs> There's something special about having clear boundaries. Making sure you communicate that very, very well. Listen, ladies, you go out on a date, you're trying to decide. I wish I had plenty of time. Uh, real quick, one of the most godly young women I know had a tragic situation happen. She got married. She saved herself for marriage. She got married a beautiful, uh, the, the, the wedding was in Southern Bride Magazine. Some of you that watch it might know, but it was one of my best friend's daughters and they got married and tragically six weeks after her marriage, her husband was killed in a car accident. She waited about two or three years. She dealt with all that. All these, she's a gorgeous girl. She's a CEO of her own company. Uh, and, and these guys come along and she told me, she told this guy who shows up who wanted to date her. She said, listen, I, I'm, I'm in my second time at doing this. I don't have time to play games. Let me just go ahead and tell you, I've slept with one man in my life. And the first time that happened was on my wedding night. The next man I sleep with will be on my next wedding night. If you got any other ideas, don't waste my time with this date. You wonder how a woman like Leslie West can marry two godly men and a lot of girls can't find one? Clear boundaries. Amen. Somebody help me. Say amen. Here's the second thing I'll tell you to guard your... This is really great for dating relationships. Keep four on the floor. Everybody say four on the floor. Now do this. Say foe. Come on, do this. Oh, say foe. On the flow. Say, foe, on the flow. If you're dating someone, I just learned this in my own dating relationships, that if you're dating someone and all four of your feet are square on the floor, you got a much better chance of being pure. You're watching a movie in the basement. Keep all four feet on the floor. Oh, but pastor, we're just going to, you know, watch that movie. And then, you know, we're just going to, uh, you know, I was just going to hop up on the bed and, and have prayer together. No, you was going to lay hands. What you were going to do, lay on hands. So keep four on the floor every time. That's a great boundary to put right there. And here's the last thing. Give no ground to the devil. Don't put yourself in compromising situations. I got an email this week about your pastor from a website called Covenant Eyes. And it says, this week, there were no concerning websites visited by Ben Murray. And I get that email every single week. 
ever since the company was invented. I don't know how many years we go back doing that. And it's not because Ben's ever had a problem with that. It's because he doesn't want a problem with that. It's a website called Covenant Eyes, and it'll monitor everything you see online. What it does is it says, you know what? I'm just not going to give the devil any ground for that. My, my accountability partner is another pastor. He gets my email every week. And it says, no questionable sites. Every member of my staff has those same. What we're saying is we're just not going to be in compromising situations. We're not going to be in places that could mess us up. You know what that looks like. Don't give any ground to the devil. Ladies, don't buy it. Don't, don't be having like Victoria's Secret magazine delivered to your house. You thought that was a, a, an underwear mess. You thought that was an underwear magazine. Your husband thought what she looked like without that underwear on just eyes forward guys she's not even looking at you just look at me right now every safe place right here all right don't make room for that i want to close with this thought some of you in this room right now you might very genuinely feel like like you're in a prison right now because you've made a lot of mistakes in this area and i'm always sensitive to this reality when i teach on this you might feel like man everything he's talked about i did all that stuff wrong why am i even in this room this is a room for all the goody two-shoes christians what am i doing here and, and, and i want to tell you god is not god god is never the one who shines a light on your past never never if, if, if this this message and this teaching is all about your future it is nothing about your past which, by the way, there's nobody in this room who doesn't have a past that they have some shame in. Nobody in this room, myself included. There's nobody here that doesn't feel the same way you feel about some things in their past. But it's not about your past. God, listen to me, God never, whenever you're looking at your past and you feel ashamed, I promise you that was never God. God never shines a light on your past. He shines a light on your future. And what you need to be asking yourself is, where can I go from here? What does God have for me moving forward? Because God came down to the earth and he died on a cross to overcome everything that you might feel like has trapped you or has control over you. Two of the best Bible verses there are. One of them is very, very famous. The other one should be more famous. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The next verse should be as equally quoted. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn us, but to rescue us. This is not about condemning your past mistakes. It's about being rescued. It's about the grip of hell that has held us. Every one of us in this room has been held by that grip. It's about you being rescued from that grip and stepping into your destiny. And I believe that today's a day of destiny for you. It's one of those moments where you say, you know what, this part of my life, I'm going to leave that part. That, that thing, that shame, that stain of the past, the Bible says, though our sins are like scarlet, he will wash us as white as snow. One of my favorite Ben Murray-isms, he would always say when he preached at our church is that God doesn't sweep your sin under the rug. He washes it away. That is so very true. Would you just bow your head just for a minute? Let me pray for you. Could I just speak a blessing over you, over this house right now? Could I just pray for you? For every person in this room, I'm going to ask you to be really, really bold in this moment. For every person in this room that would say, Pastor, you, you spoke to me today. Something about purity for my future. 
I want to guard my purity. I want to be more pure moving forward than I have been in the past. I'm not going to make you come to the front. I'm not going to ask you to write that down on a card or anything like that. I really just right from where you're sitting right now, I'd like to just speak a prayer blessing over you. But could you be bold enough and honest while nobody's moving around, nobody's looking around, just my eyes open, every head bowed and every eye closed. If you say, Pastor, pray for me that I'm more pure moving forward than I have been in my past. Would you hold up your hand to heaven? Hands up all over this room. Just hold it up just for a second. Put it, thank you, thank you. Father, I pray for every person in this room who recognizes the moving of your word and the moving of your spirit that is saying, I want to be more pure. I want to guard my purity. I want to become the woman of God, the man of God that you've called me to be. Lord, I speak blessing over us, over all of us. I want to be more pure than I've ever been. Bless us in this effort, I pray. Give us wisdom. Remind us of the steps. Show us how to put guardrails around our lives. Help us to be clear. Send the right godly friends and relationships into our future. And while we're still praying and you're still heads bowed, I want to pray for those in this room who might feel like you're very far from God right now. And, And God has a solution for that. It's called forgiveness. The solution has a name. His name is Jesus. He died for all of your sins and he alone, I don't have the ability as a preacher to wash away your sins. Man-made religion can't do that, but the God of the universe can do that right now, can wash away all your sins. And I'd like to lead a prayer over this house to ask Jesus to forgive us and cleanse us. And would you be so bold? There's some in this room, I'm certain, Who need to say today, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to be forgiven. Could you quickly hold up your hand before we pray? Thank you for that hand. Thank you for that hand. Is there any other hands before we pray? Thank God for those hands that were raised. Father, I just speak your blessing over this house. Over these three hands that were raised, I thank you. There are people in this room right now who are making you the Lord of their life. So we say with them, join me, City Hope. We say, Lord Jesus. Come on, every voice. Lord Jesus, I surrender my life. I trust in you, and I make you my Lord. I ask you to wash me now, cleanse me, and I promise to follow you with my life all my days. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.